0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times.
1: Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times, where we analyse the beats of the changing environment, from biodiversity conservation to climate change. I'm your host, Audrey Tan, and I cover science and environment for The Straits Times. My co-host is David Fogarty. Hi,
0: I'm David, and I'm the Climate Change Editor at The Straits Times.
1: 25th of May. Last month, the World Meteorological Organization released a report that detailed how four key climate change indicators set new records in 2021. Other than rising greenhouse gas emissions, sea levels are rising, the oceans are warming up, and also becoming more acidic. Three of the four center around the ocean. Today, We discuss how the oceans help mankind deal with climate change and how human activity is impacting our water world. Our guest today is Professor Benjamin Horton, the Climate Scientist and Director of the Earth Observatory of Singapore at the Nanyang Technological University. Welcome to the show, Prof. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Audrey. Can you share with us what exactly the role of the ocean is when we talk about climate change?
0: 70% of the surface of planet Earth is an ocean so everything that occurs in the ocean affects the air that we breathe the water that we drink in our and and therefore our very livelihoods so changes in climate that influence the oceans influence every species on our planet Um, the oceans play a key role in redistributing heat we because of differences in the radiation from the sun, the tropics get exceedingly hot. And so you have a temperature difference between the tropics and the poles, and the ocean currents on our planet transport that heat from the tropics to the poles. So any changes in climate that potentially influence that ocean circulation can be quite catastrophic um, for everything on planet Earth. Now, the World Meteorological Organization Warned that many of these trends are irreversible over centuries to millennia. So, why is that the case? There are many elements in the climate system that we would state are irreversible. And what we mean is that they're irreversible in human generation time. So, sea level rise, for example, as an example, um, sea levels will continue to rise irrespective of what we do about climate change. We could go to carbon neutral tomorrow and sea levels would continue to rise for decades, centuries, thousands of years, they would be reversible on timescales of around 100,000 years. Why is this? Well, there are two reasons for that. One is because carbon dioxide, which is the most prominent greenhouse gas, has what we call a residence time in the atmosphere. So if you have one tonne of carbon, the um, carbon cycle will reduce it to half a ton of carbon in the atmosphere over decades to centuries to thousands of years. It takes a long time for it to interact with the lithosphere, i.e. the rocks and the soils, and with the oceans. The second aspect is once you've started to increase that amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, you increase your temperatures, then that has a response with the oceans. The oceans themselves, have a response time of around 400 years. Relates to my first answer. It's that ocean circulation. Any warming water in the tropics to complete its ocean conveyor or its circulation around the planet takes around 400 years. So that's how long that takes. Then we get to our ice sheets. When you start to warm up an ice sheet, it takes approximately 10,000 to 100,000 years to re equilibrate. And so you've got all these long term processes. So certain aspects are irreversible on a human generation time, but that does not mean we can't do anything about it. The big question is that human activities, the decisions that we make today, tomorrow, this year, this decade, will decide the trajectory of climate change. Are the changes going to be small? And manageable, where we adapt and we still have a healthy, prosperous ocean, we still have an economically viable coastline? Or do we let this run out of control, where we see the extremes in heat, for example, that are occurring in India right now, where they're not allowing any grain exports at a very, very important time because of the Ukraine crisis? There are no grain exports coming out of India because the heat is so strong that it's reduced their crop yields by about 50 percent now climate change has made these events it's about attribution has made the heat in india instead of occurring once every hundred years is now likely to occur if we keep along this pathway three times a decade so they're not extremes anymore they may be extremes in terms of impact but they're not extremes in frequency and this is what climate change can become. All these extremes in ocean heat can just occur again and again and again, and we will not be able to adapt to it. So the importance of what we do in protecting our oceans and protecting our terrestrial ecosystem is making sure that climate change does not become a problem that we cannot address.
1: Find us on Apple,
0: Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode.
1: So sea level rise is the consequence of land ice melting, and this has severe impacts on coastal cities like Singapore. But in terms of ocean heat, what are the impacts on societies? I mean, other than coral could could we also be experiencing stronger tropical cyclones?
0: Um... So, you know, when we look at when we think about sea level rise here in Singapore, we spent a lot of emphasis on trying to understand um, the magnitude of sea level rise. And that's because Singapore's a low lying uh, coastal nation. A third of its island is susceptible to just a one meter sea level rise. And when you've got ice sheets like Greenland and Antarctica that have within it around 70 meters of sea level rise, you can see why it's an existential threat. But the other aspect to think about to do with the oceans is that because, as I started this podcast, I said we're a blue planet, 70% of the Earth's surface is an ocean, so equivalently, around 70% of the Earth's heat is absorbed by the oceans. They are a significant reservoir or buffer for atmospheric temperatures is the, the increasing Um, amount of counter-radiation from the greenhouse effect is is absorbed by our oceans, and that increases our ocean temperatures. What are the impacts of that? Well, one of those is on tropical cyclones, depending on where you are in the world, they're called hurricanes or typhoons. And tropical cyclones, their intensity, i.e., their wind strength or the height of their storm surge, is driven, or its energy comes from the oceans. The warmer you get the oceans, the more energy is available. The more energy that's available to make the hurricanes more and the tropical cyclones more intense um, be longer lasting have a higher storm surge and distribute or produce much much higher volumes of rainfall and so what we've observed in the um, 20th and the 21st century is an increase in the intensity of these storms so prior to the acceleration in greenhouse gases in the 1970s and the subsequent acceleration in the um, ocean temperatures, when a hurricane or a tropical cyclone occurred, it would commonly be a Category 1 or a Category 2 or a Category 3 hurricane. Um, But nowadays, we see these huge Category 5 hurricanes, such as Typhoon Haiyan, that barreled into... um, Philippines in 2013. We can think about events that have hit the eastern and Gulf seaboard of the United States. But sea level rise and the ocean heat actually combine together to cause the flooding. So sea level rise is the baseline on which storm surges occur so if you increase sea level rise those storm surges become larger and they inundate further inland and we did some work at the Earth Observatory of Singapore looking at a very very famous event Um, Hurricane Sandy that barreled into New York City in 2012. There were losses of life, um, $70 billion worth of damage to the New Jersey and the New York City coastline, and Manhattan was plunged into darkness. So we did some work on attribution. So how did climate change influence an event like Hurricane Sandy? And what we found is that prior to the Industrial Revolution, an event of the magnitude of Hurricane Sandy would occur once every 500 years, or once every seven generations. Because of climate change, the event now occurs in a probability of once every 50 years, so an order of magnitude increase in the frequency. But then what is really, really scary is that if we increase, keep on increasing our ocean heat and we keep on increasing our sea level, an event that decimated New York City by the middle of this century would occur once every five years, and at the end of this century would be an annual event. And so this all goes back to extremes. How can New York City, the one of the most iconic coastal cities on the planet, withstand a devastating event, a, event such as Hurricane Sandy on an annual basis? The answer to that is it simply cannot. And if that's what's going to happen in New York City, it's going to happen to every coastal city around our planet. We live along the coastlines. We work along our coastlines. Our infrastructure is located along our coastlines. We must stop climate change because it will have such devastating effects. And tropical cyclones is just one of them. So what about ocean acidification? Can you sort of explain that process, right, in terms of how that affects sea life uh, in, in particular? But does, does it have any influence on, on the weather? Well, ocean acidification by its very name indicates that our oceans are becoming more acidic. Well, why is that the case? Is because the greenhouse gas that we pollute is carbon dioxide. And when carbon dioxide is in the atmosphere, it will get into the oceans. And when you mix carbon dioxide with water, you get carbonic acid. And our measurements of the oceans have shown that we are Decreasing the pH, which is the numerical measure of acidity, i.e. increasing acidification, and the impacts of this. Again, when we talk about climate change, when we look at indicators of climate change, there's no good news story. We used to debate that temperatures weren't rising, there was natural variability. Now we just show year after year we're breaking records. The same with ocean heat, the same with sea level rise, the same with the frequency and intensity of tropical cyclones, the same with droughts, the same with wildfires, the same with flooding, and now we have the same with ocean acidification. So our ocean's acidification across the globe, has, de- has um, the pH has decreased, so our acidification has increased why is this important well coral reefs for example or all the shellfish that we like to consume their shells and the skeleton of coral reefs are made out of carbonate and carbonate dissolves in high ocean acidification and If you have um, a decreasing pH, i.e. an increasing acidification, the metabolic activity of a coral or a shellfish has to spend far more of its energy trying to retain its shell or its coral skeleton than doing other things such as reproduction or growth. And so it will have significant influences on species diversity or the growth of a species. And we've seen evidence of this again, the geological past. Is our key to the future. So you can go back through the geological past and there have been t- periods in the Earth's history where the oceans have been more acidic than today. The driving factor for that was old plate tectonics and increased volcanic activity which produced huge amounts of carbon dioxide that went into our oceans. The great extinctions on our planet, we hear a lot about meteor impacts and they have significant influences in the terrestrial realm, but the great extinctions on our planet always occur in our oceans because that's where the vast majority of our life is, because as I'll go back to it we're a blue planet and the great extinctions have always been driven by ocean acidification the geological record is a significant warning sign that we must decrease the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere to stop it being transferred into the oceans, to stop it influencing marine life and it could have very very far reaching effects on on the food web, um, on aquaculture, on, on our very um, existence.
1: So, Pro Horton, the latest WMO report comes after the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change just released their latest assessment report detailing the current state of the climate. They all signal a code rate for humanity. So, what do you think the science is telling policymakers to do?
0: Well, they're not telling you anything that you haven't heard over the last 30 years. Um, You know, science is always progressing. Um, We're always trying to understand the impacts of climate change. Now, that's really where it's going. It's trying to understand how does climate change influence human health? How does it influence biodiversity? How does it influence um, our financial sectors? So that's something that climate change is always trying to do. Climate change is also trying to understand... Extreme events, how are they linked to climate change? Because one of the things regarding our climate models is that our climate models have the ability to accurately reconstruct sort of decadal averages. What's going to happen in the 2030s? What's going to happen in the 2080s? But they've been unable to identify extremes. When and where will the next heat wave occur? And so there's always this movement towards trying to reduce the uncertainty, try to think about impacts, and try to think about where and when is there going to be the next extremes. Because once you have all that information, then you can more adequately prepare, and you can think about trying to find um, bespoke um, adaptations or mitigations to minimize those effects. But the general message has not changed since the 1990s. Now, with 30 years later, we have COP26, um, where governments have come together. But really, what change has actually t- taken place? For example, we talk about nature-based solutions being the key or the golden bullet to solve climate change. Well, we're not doing very well on that, despite all the publicity that we have on Nature-Based Solutions. We cut down more rainforest last year than at any time in human civilization. So that's going well. So the problem we have is that the science is always more certain. The science is more directed towards policy, but policymakers, businesses, are not reacting to this threat and i'll go back to it because it will you know people who well let's just let's focus in on one group of people people who are parents your key responsibility is the health and happiness of your children if you don't act on climate change you're not a very good parent and i mean that Every single person needs to think about how they're contributing to the sustainability of our planet because we have the solutions. It's not like the pandemic. When the pandemic started, we had no vaccines and we had to engage the scientific community to produce these vaccines. We already know what the solutions are to climate change. You know, renewable energy, greater sustainability, carbon taxes, trying to put a value on what planet Earth is.
1: Thank you so much, Prof Horton, for explaining the ocean's role and how humans can and should act on it. Thanks for joining us today, Prof Horton.
0: Uh, thank you, Audrey. It's always a pleasure to interact with the Straits Times. And I hope your listeners enjoyed this podcast. Um, they learned something about our oceans and they understand the urgencies. And then, obviously, the listeners of this podcast are engaged in climate but what i would ask each one of those listeners to do is to try and communicate to one of their friends or family members that we really really need to think about climate change because if we come together as a community we can solve it but it's down to the individual you cannot just rely on big business or governments we all need to think collectively about climate and then we can live a prosperous life for generations to come
1: Well, that's a wrap for Green Pulse, and we hope you enjoyed our discussion. For more on climate change and the environment, do check out our stories in the Straits Times. And don't forget to subscribe to our Green Pulse podcast series on your favorite audio apps Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts.
0: That was a podcast by the Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcastsph.com.sg.